The Hot Four podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At charlesfarham.com, brewers can shop by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farham's family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarham.com today. That's charlesfarham.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. With interviews, discussions, stories and advice from a range of brewers and craft beer professionals, the Hot Forward Podcast is here to help you and your beer business hot rocket your way to success. Visit our website at hotforward.beer to find out more. Grab yourself a beer as we crack open another fresh episode of the Hot Forward Podcast. Hello, brewers and craft beer professionals. You're listening to another sesh on the Hot Forward Podcast. Marketing. People have different relationships with it. For some, the prospect of going out there, sharing your story, dancing around the brewery on TikTok and getting creative with your social media posts fills you with sheer joy. Finally, you get to use all those pent-up performance skills from your days in a scrappy punk band in your 20s and put them to good use. And you never know, people might actually listen this time. Not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. <clears throat> and for others, the very notion of speaking to another human being, let alone having a camera pointed at you and having your marketing manager asking you to act natural or, yeah, give us your best craft beer face, creates a certain kind of dread, only otherwise reserved for the dentist. Whatever your relationship with marketing, without it, you might be brewing the best beer that no one will ever taste or hear about. Marketing is one of the most important aspects of any business and I would argue is possibly one of the highest priorities in craft beer. Now you might be saying Nick you're a marketeer of course you're bound to say that. We all know that beer is the most important thing about beer after all no one's going to drink your beer if it's crap. Yep absolutely true no one is going to drink your beer if it's crap but how did they get to try the beer in the first place? They'll have seen something with their eyes or heard something with their ears, both of which will have built up some kind of picture and created a positive reinforcement or built up a negative barrier that will either aid the sales transaction or hinder it. But it doesn't stop there because marketing has been reduced to many to social media content alone. This quote from marketing guru and author Seth Godin really puts what marketing is into perspective. 
Godin says, marketing is everything. It's how you answer the phone, the prices you charge, what you do for your employees, your ability to exceed expectations, and much more. The marketer's job is to make the organization work for its customers. So marketing isn't just good Facebook ads or having point of sales material, both of which are important. It's how your van looks. It's how you speak to your customers when you do drop-offs. It's how you treat your staff so if they leave, they don't go around bad-mouthing you. It is how your beer tastes, because bad or bland beer evokes a reaction from people. People who are armchair marketeers and are very vocal about the bad pint of beer they've just had, which could be yours. Marketing is important. Rob Moore, a master of marketing and host of the Disruptors podcast, a show focused on entrepreneurship, often says that sales is the physical transaction of goods or services. Marketing is what got them into the shop in the first place. And I couldn't agree more. So in an age of digital noise, fridges full of New England IPAs, and colourful banners, logos, flyers, merchandise, stickers, glassware, social media content. What approach should we take to our marketing? How can we stand out in a world that unendingly wants our limited attention? Well, I'm glad you asked because today on the Hot 4 podcast, I'm talking to Sarah Sinclair, the marketing manager of Moonwake Beer Co., Drawing from a wealth of experience working in beer and hospitality, Sarah took up the position with Moonwake in January 2021 as their marketing and events manager, helping the brewery to establish their brand nationally. Regular listeners of the show will remember that brewers and co-founders Finley Heslop and Vinnie Rosario appeared on the podcast back in May 2021 as they were taking shipment of their 35 hectolitre brew house. Things have moved on a little bit since then, seeing the brewery win awards for their beers and their tap room in Leith, Edinburgh. So I caught up with Sarah to chat about the continual growth of the brewery and how marketing plays a vital role in the sale of craft beer. So stay tuned as we'll be back for our discussion after this short message. The Hot 4 podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farron. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At charlesfarham.com, Brewers can shop by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farrams family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarram.com today. That's charlesfarram.com. On the Hot 4 podcast this week, I'm joined by marketing and events manager for Moonwake Beer Co, Sarah Sinclair. Hello. Hiya, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And how are you? 
I'm very good. It's great to have you on the show, Sarah. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your role at Moonwake, and how you got into the beer and hospitality industry in the first place? Yeah. So my role at Moonwake started nearly three years ago now. And before that, I was a freelance marketing manager. I was based in London, but I worked with other breweries like Duration out of Norfolk um, and uh, did that, to be honest, ever since I decided to move on from Young's Pub. So I was a sales and marketing coordinator there. And then through working in Young's Pubs, I um, discovered craft beer. There's meantime Yakima Red on draft in my pub when I was like 19, 20 at university studying journalism and politics and realizing that it wasn't all Peroni and Carling and things. I was just like, oh, this is actually decent. I like this. This is exciting. And then I uh, volunteered at LCBF, the We Are Beer Festival, London Craft Beer Festival. Yep. And I had a great time. I bumped into reps from Signature Brew that I knew from the pub I was working in at the time and they took me under their wing (laughs) and I had a great night (laughs) (laughs) um, they introduced me to other people as well and I think that was a real turning point that made me decide I want to work in this industry so I left Young's got a job in the craft beer bar uh, Black Dog Beer House in Brentford um, started my own freelance business and then come COVID, rocky, but <laughs> <laughs> um, ended up finding an opportunity at Moonwake and moving to Edinburgh and it's been really good and it's picking up speed now. So it, it's all systems go. Yes. Learning lots as well. Yep. Great. Awesome. And you did some work with Solvay Society as part of your freelancing, I didn't did you? as well. Yeah. They were my longest serving client. Um, pretty much since when I started, um, I bumped into Roman at Brew London, gave him my card, and that was that. Don't even think it was called Brew London at that time. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, worked with them. Worked, helped their rebrand. Launched a web shop as soon as COVID hit. When Roman was stuck in Belgium or Canada or somewhere it's like just go for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah worked with them until they wrapped up at the start of the year so yeah, it was really sad that like, really they... sad but like I, I understood the decision mm. yeah they made some absolutely amazing oh, they... beers you know yeah. the, the pink peppercorn tripel was just yeah. st- stunning Absolutely stunning. I wish I still had a bottle like for a rainy day in the cupboard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, there are a few beers that I think that make a lasting impact on me. And that was one of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So back in April 2021, we had Finley and Vinny on this podcast talking about Moonweight, which back then I believe you were still waiting to commission the brew house up there. And things have obviously changed a bit since then. So can you share with us a little bit how the last couple of years have been for the brewery? Yeah, so Moonwake, we commissioned our kit. <laughs> we released beer in June 2021. So we're officially just over two. And we have grown from a starter team of four to, I think, 12. Uh, the 12th person is starting in the next couple of weeks. And we're hoping to 
get more tanks and upgrade more of the kit, make more beer, more exciting collabs and projects on the way. Yeah, this year it's really gained momentum, which is encouraging considering everything going on. (laughs) It's um, nice to see an upward trend, even if it's not where they planned it to be when they first started looking at making the business in 2019. It's still positive and it's still growing every month. That's it gives a, a little bit of peace of mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, that in and of itself, I think, is amazing given there's so many breweries closing. Yeah. It's nerve wracking every time you see it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, given that Moonweight launched during the pandemic and, you know, we're, we're in the midst of this recession and fallout from Brexit. How many, seven, mm. six, seven years on since since yeah. that disastrous decision was made by over half the country? Like, w- what has trading been like for you guys? Like, for example, like, what's it been like winning new accounts or attracting people to the tap room or selling direct to consumers through the web shop? Just give us an overview of those different areas of the business and, and how you've had to sort of really dig into them. Yeah, I think our best relationships have come from local pubs and things that to be honest we all frequented before we had beer and even when Finn and Vinny would visit Edinburgh before they started brewery they'd be like I'd love to get our beer into this pub Mm. and then we did that and um, we've even helped those pubs grow by like improving on their cellar and then stalling lines and help like Leaf Depot expanded to have a live music venue as well and we decided to work with them on that because we could see the opportunity and those sort of accounts that came along and are so positive by the relationship we've cultivated with them are really what gets us through and then selling outside of Scotland outside of Edinburgh is uh, or even export is a bonus and we want to do more of it but it's incredibly hard to just jump in and be like hi we're this brewery from edinburgh Mm, yeah (laughs) and you're in i don't know (laughs) stockport or wherever and they'll be like so you've got to make it like why should they buy beer from you Mm. um and it's like it's great to have good branding it opens the door for a lot Um, but you've got to follow through with that quality of product. And we've worked really hard on, because whenever you start a new brewery or get a new kit, it's always a learning process. You, you make mistakes, you improve. And I think kind of having a transparency when that has happened and then coming back stronger and better. And people are willing to buy into that. I think, I think they can relate to it and, people that have seen our progression over the last two years are just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and when you get that feedback, it it feels like it's all worth it because you've poured your heart and soul into it and you're knackered. And when you get that feedback, it's just, it makes it all worth it. Yep. And when you see all the moon awake pint glasses empty at the bar... <laughs> <laughs> and then more g- getting filled and they're like we need more glassware and we're like okay but like seeing that and it's not just people you know 
um, enjoying it, it, it means a lot. I think one of the challenges, as you've touched upon there, is there's always a great branding out there yeah. for breweries these days. It's not like when craft beer, quote-unquote, started to emerge and you had things like, you know, at Beaver Town where you looked at the can mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, my goodness, that looks insane. That looks amazing. Yeah. And then you had some like... like it at that point. Yeah, exactly. And then you got, or Magic Rock even, you know, with the little monsters and stuff. Like those cans were just like, wow, these are incredible. And then you obviously on the flip side of that, you've got more traditional looking beers. Whereas these days, you know, it's it's hard to tell them all apart. And I think one of the other challenges as a brewer is that as you're starting and you're formulating those recipes and tweaking the process and getting used to a new brew house... It's not like from the word go, you smash it 100% every time. So how would you say, as the brew is developed and, and embedded into the kits and itself, how have you managed to maybe overcome some of those challenges of, of, of keeping those accounts and winning new accounts and as, as things have been tweaked and improved to the point where, like, you know, much happier with where everything's at? I think it comes from that proof is in the pudding when people taste the beer when they weren't 100% keen like the first time and then have it again. And it's just the next batch afterwards and they can see a marked improvement in one batch. Um, it fulfills like a, a newfound confidence. And then the fact that we've got our core range to a point where we're happy but they still keep it like our pale ale still every batch is just better than the last. Mm. And I, I don't know how many batches we've done of that now, but when every single one is better than the last, it's, um, it, it kind of starts to go crazy. Like the amount like pale ale, we'd planned it to be our flagship beer, but now it is our flagship. Beer. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, as they've embedded into the brew house, they've also experimented. Um, they've learned the quirks of the kit, but also we did our first wheat beer and that was planned to be a one-off, but it won awards. And we're like, well, this is the seasonal now because it's loved and it's great. And we've just brewed it the traditional German way on our kit with a proper step mash. It's a 10-hour brew day, but it works and it makes tasty beer. And we tried our first sour beer, uh, a straight up Goza. It was the only way we could get Vinny to do it. <laughs> he doesn't doesn't want to put um, anything else in beer, really. I think coriander and salt was enough. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, I'd, uh, me and our sales manager really wanted it. Um, and I don't think he had a lot of confidence in it, but it turned out amazing. And he's really pleased with it. Um, so that's also, I think, a difference in like teams coming together, experimenting with different things. And we've just had time to settle in and learn what we're good at. And I think what we've realized we're good at is doing modern versions of like traditional styles. And we do the hoppy, juicy pails, but it is something our team is more new to. Uh, it's not. Um, and like, as we're getting on, we're like trying different water profiles with each one and figuring out that water profile 
um, creates a better juicy fruitiness. Um, and it's more geared to what will help us grow as a brewery and able to, so we can do experimental continental styles as well. One of the main things I'd like to chat today about in particular is marketing. So obviously you've got a lot of experience when it comes to working with breweries in particular on the marketing front. What would you say is the biggest challenge when it comes to marketing independent beer? Maybe starting looking at business to business and then perhaps looking at business to consumer. Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest challenge is creating a story, creating a brand, defining your brand values. Um, I think a lot of breweries start if they, they don't have marketing people, Moonwakers, an anomaly in having one from the beginning. Um, and people with an immense amount of passion and they make a product, hopefully a good product, but they haven't necessarily thought about the fact that when people are buying things, they're buying the brand. They have, they don't really know what the liquid inside is or how it's going to taste, especially if it's like the, what makes them first time pick it up from the shelf or put it in their pub. Especially nowadays, you can have great looking designs but it's that personality people do buy like alongside their values as well and I think the first thing I've always done is sort of come in and hone in on what those founders brewers really are trying to do mm-hmm. and I think I was lucky with Solvay Society because it was like Belgian born London brewed very clear and then at Moonwake, the first sort of things I did was like chat with Finn and Vinny a lot. And I still do. Every now and again, I will pin them in a room and just be like, what, what are your goals? What's this? What's that? Just to make sure we're staying true to the values that they've shared, what we're doing. And then it's crafting that message and that story in a way that people can relate to or just enjoy watching and i think that long term builds loyalty for people uh they get like a vested interest which i think in craft beer um when you're supporting smaller independent breweries i think that's what people care about a lot mm. so business to consumer i would say it's like telling the stories on social media and um yeah getting them invested and particularly building a community around your tap room, running community events and having your tap room staff engage with people. It's really important. And sort of that education aspect. And then business to business, I think you've also got to bear in mind how you're pricing your products. <laughs> uh, they've got to be able to make money. Um, as well as like having that brand story and branding that gets them interested when it comes down to the crux of it it needs to be a beneficial relationship for both uh so i think making products that they want to have on their bars that are accessible um and sort of communicating that to them as well yeah i think that's one of the hardest things particularly for brewers that are 
more, like you say, you know, that they are brewers. It's normally a smaller outfit and it's a very small team and it's all hands on deck for everything. And I think one of the hard things is that when it comes to like selling beer, the mindset can very much be like, we've made all this beer, please buy it, you know, and and without thinking through so much, well, what's in it for them? Yeah. You know, because it's like the end of the day, you like say, they've got to sell it. They've got to be able to reiterate the story. They've got to do that with passion and be behind it. And if you can't tell them why the reason you exist is, then they're not going to have a clue. Yeah. And they're not going to have the, I call them like lyrical hooks because I like to, as a musician yeah. as well, yeah. as um, a beer marketeer myself, like, you know, I, I think of things in terms of songs. You know, beers are a lot like songs, you know. And without that lyrical hook to, to grab somebody and tug on the heartstrings, then there's nothing. What have you got? Yeah. You might have got production, like the, the branding is like production value. You know, when you get like these pop songs that are like, they've got great samples in them and the synths sound awesome, but there's no melody there. There's no good lyrics. There's, there's, it's nothing. It's just like a, a shroud that enshrines nothingness. Yeah. Getting all philosophical on the whole four podcast this week. <laughs> So I'm I'm interested. How do you approach marketing differently then with your core range, like your pale ale, as you mentioned, or the the lager, which I absolutely love. Your lager is fantastic. Like so, with with those core range ones, how do you take a different approach to those as opposed to like the one offs, like the West Coast IPA you did with Full Circle, which was again mm-hmm. absolutely cracking. Um, because I would imagine a lot of brewers out there listening to this have a core range that's more suited to a we'll call them like a less discerning drinker, like you know you. Brewing yeah. bigger batch volumes of it, more straightforward beer styles, sessionable strengths, and then you've got the beer nerds. Mm. So how how do you approach those two markets differently? So yeah, our core range now is like lager, pale ale, XPA, IPA. Milk stouts had to drop to a seasonal. Sorry, milk stout. <laughs> um, but um, those are our bread and butter beers, whether we sell them to business to business or business to customer, um, we will have people stock up on those beers and they are the most accessible beers we have. Um, we tweaked our lager recipe earlier this year to make it more accessible to people that were saying it was too lumpy. Um, but now it's won a gold award for Seabus. So it's like, yeah, we did the right thing. Um, and yeah, the feedback's been good. So that's how we've approached those. And to be honest, in a day-to-day marketing sense, uh, I kind of forget they exist <laughs> because we're so focused on pushing the new stuff on social media, newsletters, uh, events, um it's hooks to the more craft beer bars whereas like the core range is generally like sold to pub pubs um and so it's like that's the bread and butter that's what works well but it's the specials that are continually feeding people's desires to try the new thing Mm. um and you have to have a balance of how many screws you've got in stock um, and then every now and then I'm just like, 
we've forgotten to like I feel like it's like we've forgotten to tell people about these beers but like they do just sort of sit there and look after themselves but they also generate loyalty in themselves as well Mm. because they're always there you have people that just go oh I love the XPA or I love the Pale Ale I love the Lager and it's just like so yeah sometimes I feel like I neglect them a little bit but um, I think people's desire for that new thing is what helps the business grow, get people's attention, and then you're able to introduce them to the cool beers that might keep them around for longer. Yeah. And do you ever get any crossover between like the new sexy beers, so to speak, and mm. the core stuff? So like particularly with those craft beer bars, because I, I think with those more kind of as you pub pubs as you put yeah, it with yeah, like, stuff I like the XPA. I mean, the, again, the XPA is lovely. I, that's a beer I really like and enjoy um, when I have it. But like, um, as you say, they, they are just more sessionable, straightforward beers. And a lot of those craft bars out there are looking for at least on the surface I've, I, there are examples i have in my mind as i'm saying this that i know don't fit this mold but they're looking for the kind of the one-offs and the, the jazzy beers and yeah. do you ever find that if they have something like for example the baltic port you've made um, mm. that they'll then think oh actually we'll try the lager or we'll try the pale ale yeah we've definitely had i think it's when we sell to when we sell outside of Edinburgh, when we send things off to London or Manchester or whatever, um, whether it's Ebria or our trade store um, or through wholesaler, it's, um, I think people do still pick them up uh, or especially like the the dry hop stout, I think um, a bar had one on that they'd got from a wholesaler and then they came on to Ebria and bought the last three that we had uh, just to have in their cellar uh, for when they could go on at some point. So it's like, and then they'll also pick up an XPA because it's like hazy 3.4%. So it's like, it's nice to see our, it's not always just the jazzy stuff. Um, but I think the jazzy stuff, like the new specials, other things, because we aim for all our beers to be sessionable. So, but um, I think those can be the hook that get people interested for the first time and then they'll give other things a go. And um, yeah, I think that's generally a positive thing. And then, yeah, some pubs do get the same four beers in every now and again, just because they went down well. And that's always a so what do you think are the most effective ways of marketing beer to trade customers that actually convert to sales? Because there are lots of things <laughs> that breweries do, whether it's like a trade newsletter or like the press release, the social media posts, dancing on TikTok, whatever. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, it all comes down to whether someone actually clicks the buy button or picks up the telephone and places yeah. an order. Like what do you think are the most effective ways to do that? Um well, the main nuts and bolts are having a trade mail, <laughs> having a trade page on your website, um, basically having all, uh, like having a brochure that you can send to people. And it's all got to be slick, looking good. But it's also got to have every single bit of um, information they could possibly need, whether you're giving it to them or whether they're finding it for themselves. Um, they need to know what your calls are, 
what percentage they are. They need to be able to find out a price, even if it's not like public. Um, they need to know about you. They need to know about how you can get the beer. Um, and I think the more accessible you make that information, the easier you make it for people. Like having an online trade store where they can just click, click, done. Um, whether you've got one set up yourself or it's on like seller or something yeah. like that. Um, taking away that barrier, but then also reaching out to people, um, even it, whether it's through contacts or whether it's cold email, cold Instagram messaging. I know people get like, there's hundreds and hundreds of breweries there all out vying for everyone's attention. It's like um, seagulls, isn't it? Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, I can't, I can imagine how overwhelming it must be, but you never know what might grab people's attention. So I think you've just got to kind of keep trying, but also try not to spam people too much. And it's a delicate balance. Mm. And I don't always got it right. But if you don't uh, have a voice and try and get their attention, you never will. But I think having those four like proper sales brochure, trade mailer, online trade store um and yeah i think every now and again publishing to your social media about like this is like we've got a trade shop we've got this or we've got this new beer tag your local pub so they can get it in it could be like yeah people might not be on your mailer but because you've put a link to it on your instagram stories um rather than emailing them about it it might be better for them. Um, they're able to make that choice themselves rather than being hounded. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, I think getting customers involved and recommending pubs, especially when you're trying to get them to be more nationwide. Um, we also try and do um, promo for every beer launch. We have, at the minute, we're not doing like a new beer every week. It's a new beer every month or two a month, or there have been months where we haven't had any, um, as we're trying to balance all sorts of different things. Um, so what we'll do specialized social media posts, promoting the bars that have got the beer in for the launch day. And that really helps them that, and the fact our social media is good looking and interactive and we have video content it makes people engaged and it's a way to stand out. Um, and it doesn't have to be like mega slit. It could just be you doing it on your phone. But um, I think, yeah, making it like a building a community with trade on social media can also be beneficial. Yeah. It's interesting you say that about, the whole slick thing because i think the temptation is to to feel like oh it has to, it has to look great has to stand out and i don't think it does i just think it has to be like human yeah it needs, it needs, it needs... It relatable yeah absolutely so with I... a shiny can and a glass but in the background be talking about whatever is going on in the brewery that day or whatever and put on the automated captions that um hear yes. you yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah, it's I I I find when it's I do, all in the app now. So, well, I I find when I do that, I still have to go through it because of my Yorkshire accent. Be like, I didn't, I didn't say yeah, that word. Uh, <laughs> e my gum. We have a content creator here now, and sometimes he'll send me the transcripts, and I'll just be like. Just through it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think some of the biggest mistakes are that breweries make when it comes to marketing? Um, hmm, that's a good one. Having unnavigatable websites, it infuriates me. Don't, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why in this day and age? Like, have you not heard of Squarespace? It's so easy. Like, um, and it's so accessible to build like a one, even just a one-page website that works on mobile and desktop and has just the bullet points of like who you are, what you do, how people can get it, how they can get in touch with you. Like it doesn't need to, you don't need to like remake the wheel. <laughs> It just needs to be usable. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, I'm building like loads of websites at the moment for various different clients, and it's you know I do a lot of research when I'm building a site just to make yeah. sure that it, it fits within market. Most craft beer, yeah. right? there's there's some that I'm building for people that aren't, and it's just so interesting when you look at the wealth of particularly craft beer ones that are out there. I mean, the, the ones involved when I'm involved in doing like recruitment sites or whatever, you know, because of the, yeah. the business place, it's that they're like a lot harder to make because those companies are really on it with tech and stuff like that. But the yeah. brewing industry, well, put it this way, a company like Seller, for example, yeah, everyone's like, oh, Seller's amazing. And Seller is amazing. But it's like, I remember back in 2016 when I worked at the Sheffield Brewery Company and, you know, and, you, and we'd have our sales guy picking up the phone to speak to landlords. I'm like, what? why isn't there just some app that someone can open, a landlord, and just like click on, yeah, buy that one, that one, that one, and it just gets shipped to them, you know, even back then. Whereas like now it's like, ooh, seller, new technology, <laughs> you know. Yes, web websites is a de definitely a big one. Um, what are some of the things on the flip side that you've seen done really well in marketing and sales that you think, damn, I wish I'd have got there first? It's actually an example from Gin. Um, it's a local distillery. Mm. They did these amazing, sexy gift boxes last Christmas that just put our shitty cardboard boxes covered in stickers to shame <laughs> with like amazing bespoke glasses. Um, so this year we're doing really good looking gift boxes. <laughs> um, oh, there have definitely been other things as well, but yeah, I wish I'd got wise to that early on. Or um, when I look at tap rooms like track in Manchester with their beautiful beer board. Oh, um, my word. Yeah. <laughs> so colourful. So <laughs> it's so Instagrammable. Um, oh, yeah, I'm jealous of that. I mean, jealous that as a marketing tool, that, that tat room is just great. You know, yeah, I love like, going to track. Not that I go that often, which is sad, given that I'm in the city I next to Manchester. <laughs> you know, but... An example all the time. It's, um, you know, even, even a little thing like that, I think, as marketing. And people often don't associate stuff like that with marketing. But how somebody feels when they walk into your space 
yeah. just speaks absolute volumes about yeah. who you are. Um, yeah. I'll give an example with the brewery I work with. There's, there's a brewery called Broadtown Brewery. It's only a small brewery down near Swindon. And they've got a tap room, which is called the Hop Chapel. And it's literally, it's the original stables that housed the dray horses for the original Hart family of um, Royal Wooden Bassett that were a brewing family. So this mm. is where all the dray horses were kept. So it's got this brewery history anyway. But it's been decked out into like a chapel. So it's got like stained glass windows, pews. And they do a lot of um, Trappist-inspired beers. So like um, Dunkels and Trippels and things like that, and it's ju- it just it it just says everything about their their vibe when you walk in, and it's just this great quaint little space, and it yeah. sells what they do so brilliantly, you know, and it attracts people from miles around, and it's just in yeah. this little little village in rural England. I remember like um, signature brews pub in a box. I think yes, everyone's yes, kicking yep. themselves. <laughs> that was during the pandemic, wasn't or, it? Or if you've done it, but then Signature Brew got more publicity about it and you're sat there jealous. <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. That was, yeah, that worked wonders for them. Um, yeah, yeah, just things like that. They're, they're not ever, they're not even like big, the biggest shiny things. Um, I think they're the smaller little touches that can make you stand out. So looking into Crystal Ball, where where do you see brewing and the beer industry heading over the course of the next year? Like, What are your predictions? Over the next year? I I, I, I used to say the next five (laughs) years, but after the whole Liz Trust debacle, (laughs) I'm a little bit reticent now to give that longer projection. So the next year, I think, is reasonable. First off, we're hoping that Christmas is actually going to give us the boom that we wanted it to give us for the last two years that it hasn't uh, really um, done what it should do for pubs and hospitality and breweries. Uh, So fingers crossed for that one. And then next year, I think we'll continue to see more breweries doing more sessionable beers and rejigging their core ranges to fit um, more budget friendly uh, recipes and prices obviously keep going up. Um, There seems to be a good sense of like experimental hops coming through and people create buzz about their beers through those. I know we have here at Moonwake. So I'd like to see those sorts of things keep coming through from pop suppliers. And it, it helps when suppliers like that are pushing their products in a way that helps us market ours. Mm. Um, I think that's something that we could do with seeing more of because it also helps sort of show the, like the hops like Solero and Superdelic that we've put into beers. It helps having a name that even consumers can be like, oh, that's the name of the hop. And then you can have a conversation and it informs them. So I'd like to see a bit more of that sort of generating discussion yeah. across 
I've like got a, a little bit of a people. And... I've got a little bit of a bugbear when it comes to hop names on beers. Oh, and yeah, you, anyone that's listened to the show regularly will probably have heard this before. But like, I'm not against it, but yeah. I always think people should explain a bit about those hops and what flavors they're going to contribute. Yeah, uh, and particularly when it comes to acronyms. So oh, like a, D- a DDHIPA. Um, I'm like, yeah, okay, double dry hops IPA, that's fine. Explain it somewhere. Even if it's on your website and you can't fit it on the camera, yeah. just explain it somewhere oh. what that is. Because there'll be somebody out there, guaranteed, who knows very little about beer because m- most people don't. And if you chances are if you listen to this podcast, you do because it's a podcast aimed at people in the beer industry. But there'll be people out there and they'll, they'll have the can and they'll be like, I know what a DDH IPA is. And they might Google it. And then, the, you know, hopefully they'll land on your website, <laughs> but they'll land on a website and it'll explain to them. But it's, I've come across cans where it's like DDH IPA, then it has the names of the hops and it tells you nothing else. I'm like, what What the heck's Simcoe? I don't yeah. like the sound of that. I don't want any yeah. Simcoe in my beer. <laughs> yeah. And then actually you need to explain to them, actually, yes, you really do, because it contributes these flavours. Actually something that I've built into Moonwake from day one and that both our founders were just like, as soon as I said it to them, they were like, yeah, that's exactly what we want to do as well. And it was just naming the beers what they are, not beer names. And if there are like names of hops or a DDH, it's always explained in the blurb on the back of the can. There's uh, like a beer library on the website. It's got the same blurb. Um, it tells you what those hops are, what flavors they contribute. Um, and in the same with the vice beer, it explains that the flavors are coming, like where they're coming from rather than hops. And with the goza that you've got, uh, salt and coriander. And it's, I think it's really important to us that like, I think that was a bugbear of mine of when you pick up a can and there's no blurb or like anything, it's like, how do we expect to convert more people to craft beer if we're not telling them what the beer is? Mm. <laughs> if they like, if they don't know anything, um, and I think that's why, like, having such a simply named core range has really helped as well. Yeah. Again, names is another thing. That- I think can help sell beer though. So. <laughs> Like our Solero Pale sold really well. And it's like, if you'd called it something else, would it have sold as well? Well, that's you know? the thing. I had it drilled into me when I was at Sheffield Brewery by one of the owners who always used to bang on about alliteration. So he was like, you know, it, you want something that rolls off the tongue or, again, has that lyrical hook. So we had this beer. It was like just an American Pale Ale, 4%. Mosaic, Equinot, and Columbus hopped. Mm. The beer was called Get This In Outdoors, which is like a phrase in Sheffield, as in when, as you were told as a kid growing up, I don't know if they say it these days because kids are just on the phones indoors all days, as mine often are. But it's like, Get This In Outdoors, you know, go outside and play, basically. And that beer sold so much on account of that name because it was fun to say, I'll have a pint, get yeah. this in outdoors, please. And, you know, it was spelt as it sounds. So if, you weren't from Sheffield, you could still say it. 
But I always think there are some breweries out there that give beer names really long-winded, you know, names. A bit like that band, and you shall know us by the Trail of the Dead. Like, you know, I like, yeah, it's it's a kind of fun name for a band. But like, I'd much sooner say I went to watch Nirvana. I went to watch Green yeah. Day. Do you know what I mean? It's like it just kind of slips off the tongue really fast. Well, we have had craft places say to us that our names are too simple. Really, right? Stand out on their beer board, and I was just like, oh, well. That's our like whole thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you've got the opposite problem there because they they want you know. Wait, um, no, I'll have a pint yeah, of. Yeah, I got in my. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ah, found a hole in my plan. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, yours then, is just called XPA rather than I opened the boots to my car and took my suitcase out IPA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I think also we argue enough about the colours and the patterns on the can. If we were coming up with names for them as well, oh, God. <laughs> but um, we just did a collab brew with uh, Shaw Shop that's coming out with uh, Collabageddon later this year. Uh, and um, their names are obviously like some of their references I get, some of them I don't get them at all. Um but when I was buying beer for our Luna Palooza Beer Festival we had at the brewery in the summer, I bought one because it was just a Breaking Bad quote. So it's the two sides of the point. Yeah, no, there the, the really is. And I, I guess... Think you've it, got it, to decide it, which one you're going with and stick. Well, I think, I think again, it comes down to who you're marketing to who you're marketing yeah. the beer at. So a good example, like the Shawshot one, is Heist Brew Co. in Sheffield. Yeah. They're the same. And I know Dan and Adam quite well. And Adam was telling me at the Sheffield Beer Festival last year that um, someone said something. It was that one of their new brewers had moved up from Verdant. And he said something about, oh, I packed my life into, back, into the back of a Ford Fiesta. And Adam got his phone out. His notepad, and he wrote that down. I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, yeah. "Every time I that's hear something, I'm like, that's yeah. a beer name." And needless to say, it was a beer name. And I think well, I'm accustomed to saying all kinds of weird and wonderful names at bars, so it doesn't really bother me. But I know for yeah. some of my friends, they probably wouldn't order it because of of they might feel silly saying the name. Mm. And I say it's more about them and their preferences than anything else. But again, it comes, I guess it comes down to yeah. who, who you're marketing at and deciding like, who your target customer at, is. Yeah. It's like when I worked at Duration, Miranda would keep a list of names that it, whether she thought of it or somebody else thought of it. And they always come up with the most like beautiful names. And I'm like, I just don't know if I have that level of creativity <laughs> to come up with something. <laughs> I say this, I, I, I literally like I've been, I'm a beer writer as well, but I don't know if like, it's so poetic. Yeah. Um, well, turtles all the way down's a quote for something. Cause my wife saw kind of that once yeah. when I was drinking it, she said, Oh, that's from, I can't remember what it was, but she was like, Oh, that's from yeah. whatever book. And I was like, Oh, is it? And she was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then she, her, her interest was evoked because it came from a book and she's really, yeah. really into literature. Yeah, exactly. So I think it, it works in two different ways. And yeah, I just think you have to, is it just Moonlight IPA or is it, Patch your life into a suitcase in back of a Ford Fiesta IPA. And you've just got to pick which, which one you're going to do. Absolutely. 
So finally, to end on a positive note, what can we look forward to with Moonwake Beer Co? Anything exciting in the pipeline, new beers, etc.? Yes. So on the 19th of October, our Super Delicate Pale will be coming out. And don't worry, it tells you that it's a hot on the back. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> our new content creator has had some fun with the brewers for that. So I'd stay tuned for some funny Instagram stories. <laughs> soon um, uh, dressed up as superheroes and all sorts of silly things <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I know I know uh, I've had to relinquish some creative control uh, <laughs> it's a um, we've also got a cold IPA that we brewed with Lallemans and Lovren. Um this Nova yeast strain is like perfect for those kinds of styles uh, we plan to brew a cold we plan to brew this bit like last year, and we thought the style was still going to be as hypey as it was. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> doing one at this end of the year. Um, but that's fun. Um, had fun making it, looking forward to seeing how it turns out. We tried to explain what a cold IPA is on the can as well. Tried our best. And uh, we'll have our black lager that we're brewing with Tartarus this week, coming out with uh, Calabagedon as well. Lovely. So those are our three. I don't know. I think that'll just be us for the year at that point. So a few and obviously milk sounds back. So you got a few Yay. you got some you got some different bits and bobs happening as long as uh having the the hoppy juiciness. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to trying them. And I think yeah, the, the latitude, the cold idea, the black lager. Um, we're particularly excited about as well, just because they're different and we haven't brewed anything like it before. Um, but yeah, super delicate. The fact it's an NZ hop but smelled like an American hop was mm. intriguing to me. I was like, I can't wait to try this. Um, yeah, Black Lager. Vinny's wanted to brew that ever since we started, um, and sales sales and marketing just said no <laughs> but uh for Calabagedon how, how do you combine Tartarus and Moonwake beer styles that's that's, that's what you yes I, I can see that I had a Tartarus beer last night the yeah. um collab they did with Indie Rebel it was like a tiramisu mm-hmm. imperial stout yeah they enjoyed our like modern continental styles and obviously we do everything at a sessional by ABV so it's like brilliant thanks for being on the show sarah um obviously i've tasted your beers they're delicious and i wholeheartedly recommend them to anyone listening to the podcast this week so how can people do that and how can they visit your tap room uh so you can come to the tap room in leith on hopefully sunny shore um it's open thursday to sunday and uh you can always shop at moonwickbeer.com and there's still a hot forward 10 uh, for your first order, if you fancy that as well. Amazing. I forgot that code existed. Yeah. <laughs> you it, it. it fits there. <laughs> I was going to <laughs> say you heard it here first, but you kind of didn't because it was on the podcast ages ago. So you heard it here second. Yes. Again, again hot forward 10. It's always there. <laughs> Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>